Hello, and welcome to Bridgeford Trust Company's Delivering Direction and Control podcast series. Our podcast series is designed to educate, challenge, and inspire listeners while keeping you updated on developments regarding modern trust law and powerful planning opportunities available, all in an effort to deliver direction and control to clients and their advisors. This is David Warren, uh, chairman of Bridgeford Trust Company and co-founder with you all again for another installment of our podcast series. Um, As I have said recently, we've been humbled uh, by the talent and and, and expertise of the guests that we've been able to interview. I think we have now over 30 or 35 uh, episodes of this podcast, and and I'm I'm always amazed at um, how popular it's become. Um, I think it's because of the the quality of people we talk to, and uh, Craig today is is certainly uh, uh, in that category. Um, I I met Craig... um, Boring. I think a year and a half ago, maybe he's uh, in his capacity as uh, chairperson or president. I forget the exact title of Step Orange County, California. Um, I, I met him for the first time, and uh, I was struck by his his odd sense of humor, which I have a feeling may come out uh, today during our conversation from time to time uh, when he was introducing speakers. Um, but all joking aside, he uh, quickly we became friends uh, and collaborators. Uh, Craig took the time to organize Bridgeford. Uh, in California uh, to make us legal and compliant uh, from a corporate standpoint, and I appreciate him doing that very much. Uh, But Craig is really, really interesting in terms of his background and where he is uh, in his career now and where he's been. Um, Craig uh, began his career really in a trust space like Bridgeford, but in in the international realm at a very large company called Amacorp, uh, where he was in Auckland, New Zealand, which is amazing to me, uh, Auckland, New Zealand for for years, and then uh, ultimately came to Miami, uh, where I'm sitting at the moment, and and was with Southpac Trust International for, for years as well in the Cooks Islands. Um, and, and doing um, some really sophisticated offshore planning and work with families from all over the world. Um, before he jumped into the trust space, which I misspoke, before coming into the trust space, he actually practiced law in St. Louis uh, and, uh, and, and was uh, doing litigation, as I recall, and Craig will talk about that, and uh, also estate planning. So what I, what I love about Craig's background is it's very similar to my own. We, 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 I practiced law and then got into the trust space. Um, don't know that I could ever, Craig, go back to the practice of law. I think I, I lack the attention to detail, perhaps, some would say. But, um, but it's amazing, uh, your background and what you've accomplished and what you're accomplishing now. And I'm really excited to talk to you about your expertise in asset protection um, and what you're doing with your law practice now, um, really across the country, because I, I, your name comes up a lot uh, as I travel around the country. So, Craig, thank you for being here. We very, very much appreciate it. I got my pleasure. And you, you complimented the overall quality of your speakers. And I, I, I hope I don't bring that down too much. <laughs> well, we'll let you know at the end. Well, there's, there's a little grade we'll give you. But uh, but no, did I get your history correct? I mean, why don't you, why don't you, yeah, you do a better job sequence, of explaining your background? Yeah, it's, it's it, <laughs> you, I'm in a, a great place and I took a very odd path to get here. So yeah, I started, you were spot on. I started as a litigator. I was doing insurance defense uh, litigation in St. Louis, Missouri. Um most people listening to this will know this. When when you sue somebody, most of the time you're actually suing an insurance company. And I worked for a firm that the insurance company would hire to defend their in, their insurance when their insurance got sued. Um, so did that for a bunch of years, and actually just sort of almost by chance, not by chance, but un- unexpectedly, a friend of mine from law school 
had taken a job as a um, general counsel at a financial advisory firm. And they were trying to put together a network of estate planning attorneys. And we were just having lunch. And he said, you do any estate planning? And I said, no, no, just do litigation. He said, well, that's too bad. I mean, I just took a new job where I can give give you a lot of business or give an estate planner a lot of business. And he said, all right, well, let's just order lunch. I'm like, well, well hold on here. <laughs> let's talk about this for a minute. <laughs> and and uh, it was a great opportunity. And, and uh, myself and another attorney from the firm we were working at, opened our own office and um, got got up to speed on doing more foundational estate planning, basic American style revocable living trusts. And uh, just got a, a really nice steady flow of business from this company. So that worked out great. And we did that for um, a bunch of years. Um, this company, they were actually based in the state of Illinois. We were living in St. Louis, Missouri. And they, were, they had a network of attorneys and a 12 or 14 different states. And uh, they came to us after about two years and just said, look, um, we, we are not doing the business we'd like to do in Missouri, and we're just not going to bother with it anymore. We're done in the state of Missouri. So our, our primary referral source uh, just basically disappeared overnight. <laughs> it's vanished. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we, we really hadn't done much in the way of developing alternative business because this one referral source kept us plenty busy. And, and that's a lesson if there's any aspiring or, or youngish attorneys out there listening to this, do not put all your eggs in one basket. That's, that's bad. <laughs> Don't do that. So we just kind of threw our doors open and started taking random business just to kind of keep the lights on and make sure the staff got paid. And I found myself doing divorces and DWIs and, and it just, just all this stuff I had no interest in doing. Yeah, or, or going through for that. <laughs> uh, that. That came later, but sure enough. So I, after doing that for a little bit and having to restrain myself from stepping in front of a bus every night, I, I saw a, a, an ad on a, I don't know, it was a listserv or something. I don't remember where I saw it for a, a trust company that was looking for general counsel and, and they happened to be in the Cook Islands. So I looked at that and thought to myself, well, God, moving to a little island in the tropics, well, how different can that be than St. Louis, right? So, but <laughs> yeah, it's like all. people wait, wait to do that till they retire. I'm like, well, the hell with that. I'm not going to wait till I retire. Let's do it now. I sent him a letter and, and I get a call from this guy with a deep New Zealand accent and we started talking. And uh, he said, yeah, we're coming through the States. We're going to be at, at, at the Heckerling uh, Conference in, in Florida. Why don't you meet us down there? And I flew to Florida and I met with a couple of people from this company. And this was Southpac. And uh, they offered me a job on the site or on site in Florida. I, I called my wife and said, I really want to do this. And I never had been to the Cook Islands and took the job like sight unseen in the Cooks. And uh, a couple months later, from the sending that letter out, I'm living on this little tropical island and um, working at a trust company. So the, that's amazing. And the Cook Islands, like every offshore jurisdiction, and you you know this, and people listening may or may not know this, but most of the offshore jurisdictions, you know, Caymans and BVIs and Bahamas and places like that, they all have a little niche, just something you're gonna you're gonna go to them for. And the in the Cook Islands, their niche is creditor protection specifically for Americans. So the statute was actually written with large input from American lawyers, and it is probably the only example on the planet Earth of a statutory regime or a statutory, you know, a, a, a code that was written in and passed in one country that was 
squarely and intentionally directed at another. So the Cook Islands passed this this legislation. It was called the International Trust Act of 1984. Coincidentally enough, they passed it in 1984, and uh, it it was written specifically for this that part. It's laser focused, and really, they haven't tweaked it too 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 much in the last 40 years. And it it really offers some just incredible protection, and uh, took a very deep dive into into asset protection for Americans, and and that's how I got into this offshore space. Interesting. Well, how long were you at, how long were you in that position? Um, did I stayed on the island almost two years, and then they at that time they had two offices. They had one in Rarotonga, which is I'm making little air quotes here, the Big Island. The Cook Islands is like 15 small islands south of the equator in the in the south pacific so it's as far south of the equator as hawaii is north and due south from hawaii if you want to want to go look for it um it, it they had a, a second office out in the caribbean on an island called nevis which is in confederation i think with saint kitts if you want to find that it's it's um uh, like i said down in the caribbean and they wanted a third office and in new zealand so i i was the first employee they sent over to taronga new zealand to open an office for Southpac Trust there. And I moved over to New Zealand and stayed with Southpac for another couple of years. And you mentioned Omnicorp. Uh, so was doing the same kind of work out of New Zealand. So they, they, it was sort of an administrative back office in New Zealand. It was just easier to hire people and cheaper to buy copy paper in New Zealand. Rarotonga, <laughs> go figure. So uh, we were working on a case with, with, um, Another company that we, where we were co-trustees with this Omicorp company you mentioned. And during the course of that case, the trust officer I was working with over in Omicorp said, you know, my managing director really likes you and I'm going on maternity leave and I doubt I'm coming back. You should come take my job. So I, I, I talked uh, to the managing director of the Omicorp office in, in Auckland and um he offered me a job for almost twice the salary, so I, I jumped out of uh, or left Southpac and, and jumped over to Auckland and stayed there for a couple of years. And um, God, what happened in Auckland in twenty seventeen? They um, they passed a new set of regulations. So, so let me back up a little bit and stop me if, if this is unnecessary, but it, it's kind of interesting. Uh, in, in New Zealand, you remember the Panama Papers? I don't know anybody listening. Of course, remembers the of Panama course. Papers. So the Panama Papers was a, a data leak. It wasn't really a data leak. It was more of a disgruntled employee, is my understanding, at Masak Canseco down in Panama. But uh, be that as it may, when the Panama Papers were leaked and published, it was kind of a black eye to the whole industry. And in New Zealand, it, there was no allegations that anybody was doing anything illegal, you know, specific allegations. This, this, this family's committing a crime or this family's not paying their taxes or anything like that. It was just more of a, all these rich people have these entities and we all know how rich people are, wink, you know, and, and everybody just published, oh, there's this big data leak and all these, all these, these rich and well-known and influential people have these things. And it, it wasn't like, again, there was no specific accusations of crimes, well, same thing with the Pandora Papers too, right? Exactly, 100%. 100%. And I'm not going to insult anybody's intelligence and, and deny that there wasn't anybody that was doing anything nefarious. But having said that, I, the industry takes – you're in it. I'm not – you know you know this. The, the industry takes 
pretty extreme and Herculean steps to make sure that they weed out the bad actors. They try very hard. It is is much harder to be a bad actor through one of these offshore jurisdictions than it is. Look, I could, I'm sitting here in California right now. I can, I can set up an LLC online in California in 15 minutes and and nobody's going to ask, well, all right, who's the ultimate beneficial owner? What's their purpose? What's their source of funds? Nobody cares. So you can, you can, you can do that in any jurisdiction in the USA. Now, Again, not to cast aspersions like at the South Dakotas of the world. And as a service provider, if, if you're doing that, you're going to ask those questions. But the, the, the state doesn't. Uh, the offshore jurisdictions, the government's going to ask those questions. You, you have to be, you know, as a service provider, you need to be able to demonstrate that you've done your, your yeah. due diligence for yeah. uh, starting one of these entities. So anyway, it's kind of a, 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 a black eye to the industry. And New Zealand got dragged in to that whole kerfluffle. A good word, isn't it? So they, that's they, a great word. They got, they got like, say that again slowly. Kerfluffle. So they got dragged like into it. the kerfluffle, and and uh, New Zealand did not have a particularly good trust code. To be honest, it was codified common law. I think it was enacted in 1957 or something like that. So people would go to the Cook Islands and South Dakota because the statutes are great. People went to New Zealand because New Zealand's New Zealand. It's New Zealand and it's not the Bahamas or the BVIs or the Caymans. So the, 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 the clients that were using New Zealand specifically used it because they needed a clean jurisdiction. Some, you know, a jurisdiction that was above uh, being, being you know, above suspect. Most of the clients we had out there were from, they were high net worth and ultra high net worth Latin American families. So they were like from Argentina and Brazil and Colombia and places like that. And those governments down in South America, by and large, look to the islands with suspicion. So if you were a, a rich Argentinian and you, you set up an entity in, you know, in Nevis or Bahamas or BVIs or Caymans, I keep picking on them, uh, they, they would just tax you just because they, they, yeah. they would say, well, we don't know what you're doing in, in the BVIs, but whatever it is, it's probably no good. So we're just going to clip you 20% just because. So they, they, they didn't have to deal with that in New Zealand. And the other thing, and New Zealand didn't have the protective provisions a place like the Cook Islands has, but but South Americans weren't really looking for asset protection. They were looking for tax deferral. Perfectly legal, perfectly ethical. Uh, yes. And actually, from a policy point of view, the tax deferral makes a lot of sense to me. You know, as Americans, we get taxed dollar one, day one. You earn a dollar anywhere doing anything. It doesn't matter if you're human trafficking or, or selling selling cocaine. You earn a dollar, you get you got to pay the government a percentage, you know, your state and, and federal government if you're a U.S. citizen. The, the minute you earn that dollar, you owe it. The rest of the world, everywhere normal, uh, I think the only exception to this is Eritrea, believe it or not. Like there's a ton of foreign you know, Eritrean businessmen running around the world, but Eritrea has that tax regime too. But but everywhere else, if you don't earn money in the jurisdiction, you don't bring it home to the jurisdiction, they're not going to tax you on it. From a policy point of view, that makes sense. So if you're this wealthy Argentinian and you have a Hong Kong company and it's owned by a New Zealand trust and that Hong Kong company generates income, you're not going to get taxed on it unless or until you bring it home to Argentina. So you can compound it faster. So that's what they're looking for. And they're also looking for um, anonymity. Apparently kidnapping is kind of a big industry in that part of the world. So they didn't want anybody to know that they had money or they wanted it to be known that if, if you, you kidnap me, the trustees aren't going to pay you. So are you looking to murder someone or are you looking to make some money? So yeah, make some money. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, so we had, we had, um, these these 
by and large Latin American client base. And when the Panama Papers came down and New Zealand was kind of lumped with the BVIs and Caymans of the world, they hated that. So they enacted some enhanced regulations that just made it not extraordinarily attractive for for these Latin American families anymore. So they literally, the entire offshore industry in New Zealand shrank about 75% overnight yeah. in 2017. Well, I remember when that happened. In fact, a lot came to South Dakota. About, I, I don't doubt it for a minute. I, I, virtually all of our clients, all of our, our Amicorp clients from New Zealand, either move their, you know, you had, here's the letter I had to write, you know, as general counsel there, I had to write this letter, all of our clients, dear client, we have these enhanced regulations, which you hate that don't benefit you at all. And they're such a giant pain for us to comply with. It's going to cost you another 1500 bucks. So you have to pay us $1,500 to do something that you don't want us to do in the first place. And, and obviously that didn't go over extraordinarily well. And most of them ended up moving and not just us, it was every trust company in New Zealand ended up moving their entities by and large to either Switzerland or here to the USA. Right. So you know, you, know, you hit on something that I, I want to explore and I, and I also want to continue the timeline of your career and what made you jump back into the practice of law. But, but you tapped on something that is continues to be a, a, a nerve for me uh, that gets hit with is the idea that those of us in this industry that talk about uh, and provide asset protection or privacy or um, legal tax planning, um, you know, all of it completely appropriate. Some, somehow we're, we're we're nefarious just by definition. And, and in the Pandora Papers and the, and, the, and the Panama Papers, it really. I think the Pandora Papers was even worse um, because that took a direct shot at South Dakota, actually, and and the U.S. and, and states like like South Dakota and Delaware and others that have progressive laws. And, you know, I've become pretty indignant. And you've heard me talk about this. I mean, when I speak, I, I usually bring it up and say, you know, what we're doing is virtuous here. Uh, we're following the rules. We're not providing tax evasion. We're not giving asset protection to, to criminals. Uh, and, and we're certainly uh, not selling private or secrecy. Um, th- those days are gone. It's not little Switzerland, unlike what some publications have said about um, South Dakota in particular. And, and I, I become more and more defensive as time goes on because, you know, I always use the analogy. It's like a chess game, right? And, and those of us who understand the rules of chess uh, are going to are gonna have a, a good outcome. And that's all we're doing. That's all you're doing for your clients. And that's all Bridgeford supports. So, I mean, I love more of your thoughts on this because you've watched this industry evolve. And then you've watched the, and lived through the black eyes that, that people like Bridgeford Trust Company and your law firm and Amacorp and others who are doing the right thing and following the laws had to suffer. And I, I just I don't know when this trend is gonna is gonna trail off because I'm I'm oh, frankly tired of it. I, I don't think it's gonna. I think we're in a world now. It's just the regulations are getting insane, and and look, we have to bill our clients for it, and and I you know you wonder who they serve, and I am a hundred percent with you. The, the, the people here offshore, in particular. And and just visions of of criminality just immediately creep right. in. You know? Oh, it's the conclusion. Yeah, without any without any about. I don't mean to interrupt me even for a while. And I I'm this is not, not going to comment on my politics, but you know I was shocked in the early days of Bridger when we jumped into the international space. How the fact that somebody from Mexico or anywhere in Latin America wanted a, a U.S. trust. That by its very nature made them nefarious. They must be up to something, right? And I, I thought it was a form of almost discrimination. And, and I, I suspect right? those same people would would immediately concede that. Well, where would you rather bank? Where, where would you yeah, rather right. consult with exactly. professionals? And with all due respect to Mexico, 
I think most people would would say if I had to pick between an accountant in in Mexico or in the USA or a bank in Mexico or the USA, they're gonna you know the USA is it, again with all due respect to Mexico, do not mean to insult it, but I I think things run smoother here. They're better regulated. Uh, the professionals are are you know that's not to say there aren't extremely competent professionals in Mexico because there are, but by and large there are more here, and and I don't. You know, as a, an advisor, as someone with a fiduciary duty to my clients, uh, to to I, I owe them a duty to find the best right. jurisdiction, Absolutely. the best place to, to, to accomplish what their goals might be. And if I can do it better in South Dakota or, or the Cook Islands or anywhere else versus where they happen to be standing, well, then um, that's where we're going to go. And I agree with you completely. And we've talked about this too. And, and I've uh, there's some information on our website about this. I mean, I actually think there's some language in, in various tr- trust treatises that absolutely support what you just said and not only indicate that you have a fiduciary duty to make the recommendation, but also a trustee has a fiduciary duty to make sure these assets are properly protected. Absolutely. And I'm just waiting for the case to come down eventually where there's there's a malpractice because somebody decided that a California trust was the best answer <laughs> for the client. And, you know, and, and I, can, I can say, again, it's a very broad statement, but but by and large, 98 out of 100 times, a California trust is not the best answer. <laughs> I can say right. that's pretty much yeah. almost across the board. No, it, it's insane how much I see it. So speaking of of that, if you don't mind, because you're you're advising in a different way now, what what prompted you? to get into the back into the practice of law. How, how did you land in California? And then I really want to get into your practice of asset protection. Because sure. I think it's, it's pretty sophisticated. Uh, uh, but yeah. But tell me, why'd you go, why'd you go back into it? Okay. So I'm at Amicorp in New Zealand and we lose literally 75% of our business. Well, when I started with uh, Amicorp there, there were 25 employees in the Auckland, New Zealand office. And let me back up and say, I think Amicorp, had and don't quote me on this, but it's it's somewhere in the neighborhood of fifty to sixty offices in forty countries. They're really spread out all over the world, and they actually had three in the USA. I think they closed San Diego, but there's probably still two left. But but uh, that aside, um, so when I started in, in Auckland, there was twenty four employees. When I left, they were down about twelve, and they're they're still there. There's probably two or three is all that's there now. So they, that's how much the business tapered off, and. Uh, they just came to me and basically said, well, look, you're an American. We are losing all this business. If um, will, you, will you go back to one of our American offices? I don't really have much of a choice, to be honest. Look, my, yeah. <laughs> my visa to be there was basically tied to the job. So if, if they downsized me, um, I could stay in New Zealand with no job and, and no prospect. And, you know, you can't, it's not, if you're not a citizen, you, you, you have to go there with a job. You can't just start looking for one uh, or, or, um, you know, I didn't have a job there. I get deported. So it's like I either can come back to the USA with a job or without one. So came back to the USA and I actually went back to uh, work and they had an office in Miami, Florida. So I went to Army Corp's office in Miami. I think at the time they had the three in Miami, San Diego, New York. And there weren't a lot of American clients. And this is kind of off track a little bit, but interesting. So those offices, they were kind of... Um, liaison offices. So a lot of the, again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, people, the, the ultimate beneficial owners of most of these structures were, were not American. The Rami Corp. Corp did not have a ton of American clients. And they, like I said, their clients were looking for things that 
don't really benefit American clients that much. So most of our clients were wealthy people from around the world, but a lot of them liked using American institutions. So the offices here were basically liaisons between the foreign clients and the foreign offices and American banks and brokers and CPAs and things like that. So it, it was a gateway into the USA for, for Corp's clients. So that the, the Miami office, well, the San Diego office catered to clients from Asia the New York office catered to clients from Europe and, and the Miami office catered to clients from Latin America. So my experience, of course, was with those LATAM clients. So I, I moved to the uh, Miami, Florida office of, of Omnicorp. When I got there, I sent emails out to people I'd been working with over the years. So people I'd worked with when I was in private practice in St. Louis and people I'd worked with when I was with Southpac and people I'd worked with at Omicorp. Hey, people I used to work with or I've been working with, I'm, I'm back in the USA, living in Miami. If, if uh, here's what I'm doing, you get this direction, give me a call, let's go grab coffee. Um, one of the uh, advisors that used to send a lot of business to the Cook Islands was a gentleman here in Orange County, California, where I live now, named Jeff Verdon. Jeff, Jeff is, is a big, is, a, a big name, Jeff, a big yeah, name in the industry. Jeff is legend in my industry. Absolutely. So, so, and, and look, Unlike some offshore jurisdictions, the, the Cook Islands industry is small. It's low key. There, there's only six trustees there, six fiduciaries. You know, you go to the, the the Bahamas, there's probably 75. You go to the BVIs, there's probably 100. Cook's had six. And so it's a small industry. Everybody knows everybody. And and as general counsel at, at uh, Southpac, I had the opportunity to read work product from Almost everyone that, that does this kind of work, you know, everybody uses everybody at one point. You know, I use Southpac primarily, but uh, if they've got a conflict or if I want to do a, a trust here and an LLC there or something, I'll use one of the other ones. So everybody knows everybody. And 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 Jeff Verdon's work product is is just phenomenal. And his clients are just some of the most interesting people on this planet. So sent Jeff an email and Jeff, Jeff reached out to me and said, you know, I always like working with you. If, if you were back in the USA and you were interested in private practice, come work with me. So, so getting that call from Jeff was like getting a call from, you know, God, <laughs> like I'm like on the next plane. So that, that's how I came out here to Orange County and uh, stayed with Jeff. God was with Jeff probably five years and then got an offer to move back to the Cook Islands uh, from another trust company, not Southpac, but a, a, a different trust company there. A, a guy I had known when I lived on the island it was in the States doing some marketing and, and came to our office in, in Newport Beach. And I reacquainted with him and we were chatting and he said, why did you, why did you leave? And I told him the same story I just told you. And he said, uh, you interested in coming back? And I was like, yeah, I didn't want to leave in the first place. It was only because of that regulatory change in New Zealand. And he said, I'll give you a call. And we started talking and he he eventually made me an offer to to come work at another company out in, in the Cook Islands called Aura Partners. And uh, I had told him I was, I was ready to go and I uh, was getting ready to give notice. And that's when that was March 2020 when COVID came down. So there were all sorts of travel restrictions and I'm no longer allowed back in the Cook Islands. Just me. It could have been just me, but not just me. It was everybody. <laughs> Nobody can travel to the Cook Islands. And, uh, You're not allowed to leave Orange County, I understand, at this point. <laughs> I'm not even sure they want me. But uh, <laughs> the there was a travel restriction I couldn't go. So I, the, the arrangement I ended up making with Aura is I will stay here in the States and I will do kind of the general counsel work that I would be doing if I was sitting there, but but not 
as in-house general counsel, but as just a law firm. So I ended up leaving Jeff and I started doing um, uh, the same sort of things I would have been doing in the Cook Islands from from here in, in California. So that that went on for a couple of years. And when the travel was, and, and I was actually taking on my own clients at, at, at that point because I had capacity to do it and I was here and, and why not? And uh, when the, I guess it was last year or two years ago, something like that, when when uh, the travel restrictions were were, were lifted, the, the, the gentleman that owns Aura is a, a, a guy named Puai Wichman. And Puai called me and said, all right, Craig, the travel restrictions are up. I'm opening another office in Dubai. I need someone to run this office here in, in the Cook Islands. It's time for you to get out here. Let's go. Come on out. And by that time, I'd already been here in California or living on my own, working on my own. And I, I, I met a, I have a girlfriend now and she's can't move. And my father got sick. He was in a nursing home. And I said, boy, I can't, I can't leave the country now. And um, he said, well, that's too bad. I got to get someone to, to fill this position. And he has since gotten someone there, but I, I'm still very friendly with them, but I'm um, not doing the general counsel work. So I'm just doing private practice now, hundred percent. Yeah. Well, and I love your focus. I think um, I want to transition to that. I mean, we've already alluded to the asset protection piece of it. And it's a topic you and I are both pretty passionate about. Um, for our listeners, uh, Craig and I had the uh, the opportunity to um, to debate each other in Los Angeles, uh, I guess, last month and uh, uh, about the virtues of domestic asset protection versus offshore asset protection. And, and I think we began the conversation by agreeing that probably the purest form of asset protection is an offshore solution. Um, uh, but there are reasons why sometimes it makes sense, um, or, or we shouldn't say sometimes, there are reasons why people are choosing domestic asset protection. Um, but talk to me about, you know, your practice in that regard. I don't, we don't want to debate again. My, my, my face is still healing. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still healing up from the, from the last There, there is a place no, for both, I will concede. <laughs> <laughs> of course, for sure. But no, but tell me about, about how you approach it. I mean, I, I, I love the work that you're doing and you, you really have developed a great reputation well, for yourself. Here, here is something we can all agree on. Americans like suing each other. <laughs> I, I started in insurance defense. The the firm I worked at, our forte, we did a lot of uh, uh, professional liability and we had a lot of clients that were uh, medical malpractice. I didn't personally work in that. My, my forte was was real estate and insurance agents. So, you know, look, it, it's, oh, I think we did, we did Hardee's too. I did a lot of slip and falls. So anyway, but, but <laughs> those were arguably legit, but, but like the, the real estate agents, it's like someone buys a house, they move into the house, there's a leak in the basement. You sue everybody. You, you sue the seller, you sue the inspector, you sue the real estate agents and the real estate agents like, I don't know there's a leak in the basement. I don't live in the house. All I know, you know, what do I know? So it's, you get dragged into these things. It's, it's insane. And, and you can lose to win. I mean, depending on, on right. look, right. another thing with, again, all due respect to our friends in the insurance industry, when they get a claim, the first thing they're going to do is look for a reason not to pay it, right? So they may deny you altogether. They defend with, uh, we defend with reservations. We're going to pay for the events, but we're not going to pay a judgment, blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, you, you, you can go through this and you can, I'm making air quotes again, win, and it, it costs you hundreds of thousands of dollars to win. Never mind the headache. So uh, we we like to sue each other. If if you open a business in this country, and I love this country, and I don't want to criticize it too much, but but if you 
get up enough mornings and you flick your lights on and turn around your open sign enough times in a row, you're eventually going to find your way to a courthouse. It is just a sad reality here. So it is, it is, I think from a client's point of view, son, depending on the industry you're in, would be super convenient and super comfortable being able to go to sleep at night, knowing that you can push back if you're a real estate agent that doesn't know, I've never lived in the house. It, you, you, you can rest assured that win, lose, or draw, they're not going to ruin you. So, and, and going back to the industry, let me, let me talk about that for a minute. Certain professionals and certain uh, people with certain careers have a much greater need than others. And I think that's important. Does everybody need asset protection? No, they do not. Um, but the people that need it, need it. And, and for example, if you have, if you're a, a let's take two people that are, that are pretty wealthy, not ultra, ultra high net worth, but, but pretty high net worth. Say they're, they're worth $10 million. Pretty, pretty good nest egg. Um, client one is, is a um, CEO at a Fortune 500 or CFO or in the C-suite somewhere. Makes a good wage, has has had incentives, and has managed to to put together ten million dollars worth of assets. Look, professionally speaking, that person does not have a ton to worry about. You know, you 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 don't when you sue a a large company, you don't name the individual officers typically, and if you do for whatever odd reason, the company's going to indemnify them for the most part. So if you work at a big company, you work at Google or Amazon or General Motors or something like that, th those companies literally probably get sued 15, 15 times a day somewhere in the world. But, but the executives don't get dragged in that much. You know, and they really don't have a ton of personal exposure. But contrast that with, with someone who may have the same $10 million, but that person owns a chain of restaurants or manufactures something. Any lawsuit's going to come right off that person's bottom line. They're going to feel it. Um, if you own a chain of restaurants and you've got, I don't know, 100, 150 employees, and in my world, that's 150 potential plaintiffs. You, 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 you can't wage an hour claims. You can't really even insure against those, nor can you hide behind your corporate entity. So someone like that really should consider this kind of planning. Um, you know, people, you, know, you talk to your financial advisor and you, you go in and say, financial advisor, I want to retire someday. And I'm this many years old and I want to retire when I'm that many years old. And I have this much money now. How much am I going to need when I reach that age to, to retire and maintain my lifestyle? And if the, the, the financial advisor does a nice plan for you and they'll come back and go, all right, we'll move the pieces around the chessboard. Here's your plan. If you do this, 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 and this, when you hit your age, you're going to have income for life. That's great. If everything goes as, as anticipated, that's exactly what's going to happen. But what if between the day you set up your plan and the, 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 the day you retire, you get hit with a giant massive lawsuit and you, you lose a ton of your savings? That whole plan which goes, happens, which happens every day. It happens every day. It surely does. Yeah. Your, your, your retirement plans are now blown up. So the, this this is a to me it's a it's an important component and to your point you made earlier the people look at this and go hey, is people trying to not pay their debts no it's not people not no. paying their debts it's that yeah. real estate agent that didn't do anything wrong that can say to the the person that's suing them just because we sue everybody in this country I, you're not going to ruin me and well and I'll t and I'll jump in if I don't mind real quick because I, I agree with you so wholeheartedly when I practice law but I was also a litigator like you and I represented a lot of doctors and hospitals that got hit with frivolous lawsuits all the time and so they would spend all this money to get out but to your point they didn't win 
even if they won. And so I, I completely agree with your point. Absolutely. So yeah, that and 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 that's the thing with estate planning, I, or with our asset protection. The, the idea, the ideally, if you get sued, you tell the plaintiff right away. Look, I just want you to know what your button heads with. I'm not conceding. I owe you a dime, but but understand, win, lose, or draw, you're not going to take a dime from me. They don't. Nobody wants to spend months or years or tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, prosecuting a case where there's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. They're going to settle out with you. They're going to either just go away or they're going to take a nickel or a dime on the dollar and they're going to leave you alone. And that, in my world, that's a win. And, and again, to that point, the people that have still, after you and I, if we've not convinced this audience yet that there is nothing morally repugnant about doing this, what is a limited liability company? It's right there in the name. It's to limit your liability. That, that's all we're doing. And I, I just don't understand why anybody would have any kind of issue with this. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. And I, I love the focus. Um, uh, I love what, you, what you've built. Um, and, um, and I appreciate hearing your perspective. And, and I appreciate our friendship. I mean, you've been very supportive of, of Bridgeford uh, in California as we've launched. And, um, and I see us doing some great collaborative client work together. And I, I love your approach. And likewise. So and let our- me say this while we're, while, we're, while we're patting each other on the back. Honestly, I've been, <laughs> I've been extraordinarily impressed with Bridgeford. I, I work with a lot of professional fiduciaries. And, and Bridgeford Trust is a first-class organization. You guys do everything well and everything right, and I appreciate you. No, I thank you for saying that. And uh, and again, I see us doing some great work together. So for our audience, um, you know, Craig's information certainly will be attached to this. I, I highly encourage you to reach out, to Craig. Um, although he's in California, asset protection is a is 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 a national and international conversation. So um, I, I I highly recommend his expertise um, and uh, and he's just a great person to work with. So Craig, thanks again for taking the time to do this with us. And uh, you know, next time we debate, um, maybe we should be in different states because <laughs> I'm, I'm still bruised and battered. Uh, kind of like we're doing now. That's amazing. This technology. Well, you're in Florida right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just got back to our office here and um, you know, your end is always, always big for trust companies and I'm sure you're crazy busy too. That's insane. I'm here in California and it sounds like you're like right next door. So it's very cool. Yeah. And and for those listening, Craig and I are actually practically neighbors uh, (laughs) uh, in in California. So if you come out to California, we'll, we'll take you out for coffee. Again, Craig, thanks again for for the time and friendship and uh, we'll be working together for years. Thank you, David. And I, I certainly look forward to all of our interactions. Thanks again for listening to Bridgeford Trust Company's Delivering Direction and Control podcast series. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to keep posted on when new episodes are added. And for more information, you can visit us online at bridgefordtrust.com.